Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and hello. This is Nick Augustine here with attorney Mark Scroggins of Scroggins Family Law in Dallas, serving Dallas, Denton, and Collin counties. This is the Scroggins Family Law Podcast series featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law. Today's show is focused on the value of homemaker contributions in marriage and divorce. We're going to talk about the value of non-economic contributions by a homemaker parent. We'll ask what happens in divorce when one spouse has no income. We'll talk about determining the homemaker's contribution to the value of businesses or education. We'll also discuss how to plan to maintain that home for the children as a homemaker after divorce and thereafter. I'm here with board certified and family law attorney Mark Scroggins, who is an aggressive and experienced trial attorney with a sound understanding of business matters that serves him well in family law. He's an accomplished speaker and author. Mr. Scroggins has practiced throughout the state of Texas for over 20 years. He has written about family law matters for Texas Lawyer and numerous other periodicals and has spoken before numerous organizations and corporate clients. Uh, as we get going, want a uh, general disclaimer. This general information program here is not a program containing legal advice, and listening to this program cannot create an attorney-client relationship. For more information, please call Scroggins Family Law directly at area code 214-469-3100. Again, 214-469-3100. Time to say good morning to Mark. Good morning. Good morning. So, we're into divorce season. Some yes, may say are. some say January is the big month, most say it, but there's some people who are still getting their ducks signed up and filing in February. Some of those people may or may not be working outside of their job as a full-time homemaker, stay-at-home right. moms and stay-at-home dads. All sorts of uh different combinations of people coming through the door. Yeah, that is something that uh that's something that happens all the time. I mean, you know, it's not always uh you know, where you've got uh, a two income family. A lot of the time you've got one that has been a stay at home spouse for uh for a period of time and uh you know, they generally uh especially need representation. Um uh, you know, that much more so than uh you know, than uh the person who who has been earning the money the entire time and generally has all the information associated with that. Absolutely. Another thing that we should keep in mind during our discussion today is that people getting divorced come in all different, uh, you know, all, come from all different walks of life and abilities and ages as well. And, uh, you know, so while we're talking about this, we often think of the couple with younger kids um, who have a lot of their earning capacity ahead of them in their lifetime, but there may also be people who are have raised the kids, stayed at home, been the homemaker, and are now in their 60s who are getting divorced. Right. So all sorts of different right. options. So what we really want to start off with is, Mark, can you explain to people how the contributions of the homemaker have Nana have value in a non-economic sense because of those contributions. Lay it out for us. Well, I mean, it's basically, you know, you're looking at 
um, the theory of someone was, you know, taking care of things on the home front so the other person could be out there uh, expending their time, toil, and effort in building a business. But what it really, what it really breaks down to is an issue of, in Texas anyway, an issue of community property law. And that is, you know, anything that, uh, anything, any business that is started during the, during the pendency of, uh, of the marriage is a community asset. It doesn't matter if, you know, if it is a business or residential real estate, commercial real estate, oil wells, you know, uh, intellectual property, anything like that. So, uh, and it also doesn't matter if everything is, you know, 100% in one person's name or not. The presumption is that it is still community property. So whether, you know, um, say I represent, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's wife, and let's pretend that um, Facebook was started during the pendency of the marriage. Well, if she never worked there, you know, and all the ownership interest in the company is his, it doesn't matter. It's still a community community issue. So that's really what um, what it boils down to uh, in in the state of Texas is you're looking at characterization. Now, obviously, that changes some. If uh, or changes a lot, frankly, if you know the business was started prior to the marriage. I mean, then you're looking at uh, a whole bunch of other issues because the you know if the if the business was started prior to the marriage, you know it's going to be a separate property entity. But you know any salary that that person that that person makes is going to be community. And then you also have to look at things like retained earnings or. Uh, or things of that sort that are that are really really important, um, you know, going forward. Which may make someone's head spin if they've never right. touched any of any, you know. And as you as you you know uh, highlighted earlier in the program, there may be the per the person who may be the homemaker may not have control of the asset. My mom stayed home. She did all the finance stuff. She checked mm. books. She bounced. My father was horrible. He would just write checks and, you know, never keep track of them. And she'd have to track down like who spent what wire. She knew right. down to the penny, everything that was going on. But in a lot of cases, <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. So the person who said, well, you know, the business was started prior to the, I don't know when the business was started. I mean, I could see how someone could be swimming in, in panic and fear, and I think that a lot, in a lot of years past, and I'm sure still today, there are people who might stick out and stick with uh, an otherwise bad situation because they are frozen by the fear of, I mean, just going to an attorney's office to talk about this, and if you the person who has stayed at home and only speaking you know kid language most of the time during the day you already feel disconnected from the you know the world and you don't want to sound less sophisticated you don't i mean i i could see how people could just be paralyzed in fear especially let's examine a situation where all of a sudden a divorce comes out of nowhere you're the one who is the the homemaker you have no you're not sure whether you're going to have to go stay with mom or grandma do you stay in the house does the does the other spouse leave the house what happens i mean people uh, you could see how fear just has could set in and people don't know which way is up 
Oh, there's no question. I mean, fear of financial insecurity is huge, um, and it's you know it's it's bad with uh, you know it's something that both men and women suffer for. But my you know in my experience in in doing this for a long time is that uh, you know the ones who uh, who tend to be racked with this fear. Um, you know, more than anybody is uh, someone who has been a stay-at-home spouse, and you know, traditionally that has been more females than than males, and uh, and it is scary. I mean, there's there's no question about it. Especially, you know, you've got the internet, which is you know can be fantastic and it can be horrible. I mean, so you have people that read crap on the internet and think it's gospel, and you know, over half the time, big chunks of what they what they read are wrong. And, uh, you know, and they come out of the shoot saying, oh, well, I know that X or I know that Y. And it's like, well, you really don't. Because <laughs> you just <laughs> you read know, an article about the law in Pennsylvania that says you can exactly. get permanent maintenance forever. And Texas, right. that may not be the case. So, you know, I, so th- they've been doing too much research on the Internet. Um, what else? What else are they up against? Well, I mean, the the biggest thing you've got the biggest hurdle is fear, okay? And so I think a lot of a lot of the time people think that they're doomed to stay married uh because of the issue of financial insecurity. And you know, the the smartest move you can make is to go sit down with a, you know, really strong lawyer. Um and understand that, you know, the rules of the game have have changed. I mean, it's no longer you and your spouse against the world. It is now you and your family, um, you know, going through this divorce process against your former spouse. Um, you know, so there's stuff that, you, you know, you've got to you've got to understand that, and you can't uh, bet on your spouse playing fair, and you can't bet on your spouse providing all of the information that you uh that you want or need to make a to make a determination on on things and that's why it's so important that that you hire a really strong lawyer who can guide you through that process i mean because there there are ways to get the information that you need um mm-hmm. but it's not going to be something you know how to do uh you know unless frankly unless you're you know, a divorce lawyer, and frankly, you you really ought to hire a a board certified lawyer who, uh, or board certified family lawyer who, you know, does this day in day out and and has a special level of expertise. So, so what then is the next step? Say that you're the person there who says, "All right, I'm ready to hire this lawyer. I'm ready to pay mm-hmm. the fees for getting the divorce. What's their retainer?" And then. The, then, then the reality sets in for some of these people. Well, I'm not authorized to spend that much. Or my agreement with you know my spouse is well, you know we, you know I buy groceries, I buy this stuff. I mean, this is a expenses over a certain dollar amount need to be discussed. Uh, you know what now? And 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 do we even know? I don't even know. What if they don't have access to? There's money there. They don't know how to access it. Again, back to paralyzed. They're, they've gotten over fear. They're ready to move forward. Um, what are some of the logistics and what are some of the options uh, involved in getting going? Sure. Well, the first step, like I, like I mentioned before, you want to make sure that you hire a, a board-certified lawyer on this who can walk you through the process. So you've got 
answers to each one of the questions that you posed. In the first scenario where, you know, oh, there was an agreement that we'd discuss anything that was going, you know, spending over a certain amount, well, you know, throw that out the window because, like I just said, the rules of the game have changed, okay? So if you make that, make a determination that you want to hire this person, you're ready to go forward, you don't need the approval of your spouse to pay that retainer and go forward, okay? The second scenario where let's say that there, there is money there but this person doesn't know how to access it, um, if we can get a hold of, you know, the documents to be able to show that, you know, where the money is and that there is money available, we can get a, an award of what is called interim attorney's fees to finance the litigation, okay? So that's another thing that can happen. Then let's say that you've got someone, not only are you going to need interim fees, but you don't know just what all is out there, you know, what, where all the accounts are and your, you know, your, your spouse is basically giving you the Heisman on providing this information. Well, that's why you have the discovery process. And the discovery process can be, you know, written discovery and oral discovery. Written discovery can be things like interrogatories, which are written questions, or requests for production of documents, which is just what it sounds like, where you're going to ask, that they produce, you know, all financial statements. So that's going to be bank records, and that's going to be, you know, for the uh, their your individual accounts or stuff just in your name, stuff that is joint accounts. Uh, you know, if you've got if there's a business involved that is owned um, that is owned by the spouse, you're going to want to get into into that kind of stuff. I mean, so there's just a whole bunch of different things that you can do to to get this, okay? But it's it's a process, okay? Some of the stuff can be gotten rather quickly. Some of it, you know, takes a little longer. The written discovery that I was talking about, and obviously there there are other documents um, also <clears throat> that can be that can be drafted. But you know, the other side has 30 days to respond to that, and just because they respond in 30 days, that does not mean necessarily that you're going to get everything you want in 30 days. It's very oh. likely that they might you know, play a little hide the ball and object to more things than they should object to. And so you might have to turn around and file, uh, you know, a motion to compel or, you know, there are all kinds of different things that you might need to do. But but there is an answer, and you just need to understand that, that there's a process. And that's why, you know, the relationship you have with your lawyer is important. You go to that lawyer for advice, but you also need to be, you know, comfortable with, with that person and, uh, you know, take the time necessary to understand what is going on? I mean, there is no such thing as a stupid question, you know, because like I've mentioned before, unless you do this every day, you know, it's foreign. It, it, is, a, it is a whole different beast that, you know, you're just not going to be familiar with and you shouldn't be familiar with. Well, I mean, especially within the practice of law itself. Uh, it's not that you take the person who does business litigation and necessarily plug them into family law. Um, you know, just another reason not to use Bob down the street who has the general practice who does everything from soup to nuts, especially when you've got some of these difficult issues. And here's another one of them that someone may say, well, Mark, everything you are telling me is wonderful. I'm glad that there are opportunities to get an interim fee petition and, um, you know, get some things done with our temporary orders for some support, but what about the house? Do I have to take the kids and leave the house, or can we make, can we make him leave? What can we do? And, um, and how, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, there are, uh, you know, generally, the person who, if you've got, let's just 
take the traditional sense, okay? If you've got a stay-at-home mom and you've got kids involved, you know, can she and the kids stay in the house during the pendency of the divorce action? Uh, the vast majority of the time, the answer is yes, okay? Um, now, you know, keeping the house after the divorce, is that something she wants to do? Well, that's, you know, without knowing what all of the assets are, you know, you can't really answer that. Uh, if if it is a, a situation where uh, there's enough money for, you know, that house to be maintained, uh, then, yeah, I mean, you can you can do that. But, you know, the house is just one asset, uh, hopefully of many, that goes on a spreadsheet. And, you know, so when you're dividing things up, um, you know, you, you make decisions based on what is in your best interest and in the kid's best interest. And, and if you've got someone that has been out of um, – if you've got someone that has been out of the um, – workforce, you know, for a long time, a lot of the time liquidity is an issue. So you want to look at different assets that are that are more liquid. Let's say that instead of, you know, focusing on a big IRA or 401k, um, you know, maybe you are more interested in stock options or a trade account that you have because the ability to get liquid quick uh, is you know, is there, or maybe you do something, uh, you know, that's where you want to look at spousal maintenance. And sometimes you want to look outside of the box at alimony type of arrangements that, uh, would be in excess of what you could get with spousal maintenance, uh, in the state of Texas, you know, so there, there are a whole lot of different things that you can look at, but the, the key factor is, and this is what's, what's really hard for a lot of people, um, is, for lack of a better way of putting it, you've got to divorce yourself from the emotion of the divorce proceeding itself, and you've got to look at it as a business transaction. You know, so is it in yours and your children's best interest for you to hold on to that house? Let's say that you've got, you know, a 3,500-square-foot house that's got, you know, a half-million-dollar note on it, and you know, you've got finite resources. Well, you know, is it really best for you to maintain that house just because it's the house that the kids have grown up in? You know, or is it better to downsize and do something better? I mean, you know, kids kids adjust, and, you know, you don't need to burn through hundreds of thousands of dollars just in, uh, you know, mortgage payments and upkeep, you know, with a yard guy and a pool guy and all that just to, you know, make sure that you the stay, in the, don't feel stay in the poor. same place. <laughs> no, right. I mean, we so, don't want the kids to feel poor, but if we keep spending this way, here's where we're headed. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you, you've got to be, you've got to be smart about it. And that's where, you know, having a, you know, having a realistic conversation with the kids is, is important. I mean, you don't want to do it too early and you don't want to provide too much information. You know, it's not a, a sit down and, okay, let's open up the ledger sheet and, you know, show the kids, you know, this, that, and the other, that's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, what, what is important is to, you know, let's say that you've been a stay at home for a while and you've got, you know, teenagers. Okay. They're not, they haven't left yet to go to college, but you tell them, look, we're going to go into something a little smaller because now I've got to, you know, go back to school and build up my education, or I've got to take some uh, other classes 
to you know become relevant again in the uh, in the workforce because I haven't worked in so long. And you know this sounds like such a daunting task, but I'm gonna hang my hat on your statement about um, divorcing yourself from the divorce and looking at it as like a business transaction. Um, there are a lot of people out there who do not look at things as business transactions because they've been, you know, raising kids, going to soccer games and everything else. Um, and the thought of going and getting education might be very scary to someone, but it also might right. uh, open the door to some new opportunities and sort of turn that chapter to the next page and literally rewrite and write your new history. But along with that thought process, there's always the person who says, wait a second, wait a second. I stayed home and raised these kids, and instead of working as my, my career, in order to help uh, my soon-to-be ex-spouse get their education, they were able to go to school, they were able to go get their law degree, they're now a practicing lawyer, and they have you know this income. I don't have this income. There's I you know, and there are a lot of people who um, have hurt. Is so, sort of like one of those just sayings that, you know, if you stay home and help increase someone's education, you can get their value for that. And uh, what is your uh, comment on on the the value of that homemaker increasing the other's education? Well, I mean, that is something that, uh, you know, can definitely come into play. I mean, you know, the one that you hear about all the time is, uh, you know, over in the medical field, you know, the, the gal who was a nurse that uh, helped pay her husband's way through medical school. And then, right. uh, you know, he, he becomes a successful plastic surgeon and, you know, divorces her and, and hooks up with some 23-year-old. You know, I mean, it's very cliche, but it, but it happens. Um, so, um, you know, does that, uh, does that come into effect? Yes, it does, but it, it goes towards property, you know, division of the marital estate. Um, so, so the question is, um, what does the marital estate look like? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and how, how can we attribute it? So, I mean, it is one thing. It it is a small. I hate to say this, but it's it's really kind of a small piece. Um, what what plays greater into division of the marital estate? Okay, if you are seeking what is termed as a disparate division, meaning you know one person gets more and one person gets less, are things like disparity in earning capacity. All right, fault in the breakup of the marriage. Um, you know, uh, needs of the children. Things. Things of that sort or, you know, monies that you need to become relevant again. Let's take that situation that I just talked about. You know, so a gal that has been a nurse um, puts hubby through, through medical school. He becomes a successful doctor. Uh, she quits working to take care of their 2.5 kids, um, you know, and is at home for 12 years. During that time, she doesn't keep her uh, nursing license up because, you know, she doesn't, doesn't seem to need to. And, uh, you know, so how, how do we go forward at that time? Well, you know, she's going to have to 
she's going to have to uh, do some things to get her to get her license back in place. So you know, they're they're just all all kinds of different things that that play into these factors. But it really comes an issue of uh, property division rather than um, how you determine you know, an increase in value of a particular asset or, or of the marital estate as a whole. Does that make, does that make sense? It does. And, um, it does. And I just, you know, again, the thing, as you're describing some of these situations, I have the, the people in my head when their faces are getting angrier and angrier, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I let my my nursing license go because I was helping, you know, goofball over here. And then look, this happens and, you know, shame on me, you know, what an idiot. But, you know, the thing is, we never know how life is going to pan out. So, um, again, it's divorcing yourself from the emotions of it. You know, we talk about oftentimes get a good mental health person, you know, who will tell you, you know, draw their name on the pillow and hit the pillow, whatever you do, um, you know, because, again, the, the time to be weepy and sad, um, it will be there, but you've got to be tough, uh, you know, along the way, too. Um, is anything in with respect to spousal maintenance itself that you want to key on so people can uh, understand what may be reasonable expectations as far as uh, the length of a spousal maintenance award, what things may cut off a spousal maintenance, cohabitation, for example, uh, and some of these right. other things about spousal maintenance itself? Well, I mean, spousal maintenance, you know, you're going to have to have been married for, for 10 years and, uh, and basically not worked during that time. And the other thing to remember as it relates to spousal maintenance is the key term in, uh, in the statute is um, spousal maintenance only comes into play if, through the division of the marital estate, the, uh, that spouse does not receive enough marital assets to meet, and here's the key term, their reasonable minimum needs. Okay, so what are reasonable minimum needs? Uh, it's not a country club membership, and that's not driving the Lexus around and all that. It is, you know, food, clothing, transportation. Now, it doesn't mean that you're living in a hovel or something like that, but, you know, this is not a, you know, where you're going to get rich off of, uh, you know, 30000 a month in, in a spousal maintenance award. I mean, typically, you know, you're going to end up with somewhere between $2,500 and $5,000 for, you know, a relatively short period of time. It is only supposed to go for as long as it is necessary within specific uh, statutory confines. And that's why you see things done in um, in terms of alimony rather than spousal maintenance a lot of the time because you, you have more flexibility in their tax benefits to the person who is paying. So it can make things a little bit more palatable. So let's say, you know, in that scenario I was talking about a little bit ago where you've got the spouse who's been a stay-at-home for such a, uh, for such a, a long period of time, so liquidity is an, an issue, and let's say they've done really well. So, um you know, the, the other spouse has the opportunity or, you know, can afford to make payments of just for, uh, you know, for purposes of this hypothetical, let's say 10000 a month. That's an easy round number, something I can, I can work with easily, okay? <laughs> so let's say they can afford to make the payment of $10,000 a month. Well, why does that make sense instead of, you know, they're kind of doing a, a payout there 
in lieu of certain property division aspects. Well, the benefit to the person who is paying it is they're going to get a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in their adjusted gross income. Okay, So take 120000 off of what you make. Also, you've got issues with, you know, the current value of money. So, you know, uh, let's say that this had been going on for 20 years, okay? Let's say it was a payout. Well, if you did this for 20 years, and let's say that it started in 1997, okay, you know, what is going to be more valuable, a lump sum of 2.4 in, uh, in 97 or 2.4 paid out over 20 years? You know, so there are certain benefits to both uh, to both sides on that. So the person who's paying it is going to get a tax benefit. The person who is receiving it is going to have to pay taxes on it. But it, re- but it uh, takes care of a lot of liquidity issues. And, you know, you hook them up with the right people to, uh, to invest that money for them, you know, and they can do real well and be taken care of going forward. Mm-hmm. Another thing just to uh, remind people exists – uh, divorce financial planners, um, and I knew there was one divorce case where the, they kept looking at the value of certain shares of stock on a daily basis, and uh, well, I don't know, they were waiting it to hit at a certain point, <laughs> split everything, but um, the people who, uh, who board-certified family law attorneys sometimes bring in some of these uh, high-level, very specialized uh, forensic and, you know, planning um, business, uh, what do you call divorce financial professionals, divorce. There's mm-hmm. a, a specific term I'm thinking of. I can't think of the top of my head right now. A but, certified um, divorce financial analyst. Yes, thank you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they can be very helpful, and I, you know, here's here's the thing. Okay, divorce in general, unless everybody agrees and it is cookie cutter. Um, it's it's an expensive process. When you start talking about getting, uh, you know, certified divorce financial analysts involved, and you're having to do a lot of discovery, and you're having to do business valuations and stuff like that, all of these things get very expensive. So one of the things that you know you have to look at closely is, will the estate, the value of the estate, tolerate it? You know, so that's one of the things that you've got to that you've got to look at first. And, you know, where you started to mention a forensic expert, you know, we might bring a, a, uh, an accounting, a forensic accountant in if we think that there are issues of um, money being hidden somewhere, you know, something not making sense there. I mean, that is, uh, that's something that can be done. That's also something that can come in if, let's say that there are significant uh, separate property issues uh and maybe some of the separate property funds have been commingled with community funds then you are you know needing to do some tracing to determine what is separate and what's community using you know the the rules as promulgated in the case law and the statutes uh that govern these types of things so there almost always I'm not going to say always but there almost always is a solution for what you seek. The question is whether or not there's the money there to be able to pay for all that. So sometimes you've got to get real creative on how you do some different things. 
Right, right, right. And of course, again, to you know, to dissuade people from going to run to hide under the bed, thinking, "Well, this is just way too much." The, the you know, the, the, not all cases involve all these experts in certified divorce financial. Now, maybe if you are, like you said at the top of the show, representing Mr. Zuckerberg's wife, that may come into right. play. But in most cases, no, this stuff is. You know, it's not a whole team of people. I mean, I could see people's heads just spinning now, you know. Um, right. But at any rate, there are so many options for people who are getting divorced, and especially if you were the homemaker. I would suggest checking out a lot of the blog articles there on ScrogginsFamilyLaw.com. And, uh, Mark, can you give some people information on how they can get a hold of you to continue uh, this information or that's when it's time for them to give a call and say, hey, I'm ready to have a look at my situation? Sure. Uh, you can always reach me at the office at 214-469-3100. You can email me at mark at scrogginsfamilylaw.com. You know, and frankly, our website, scrogginsfamilylaw.com, is, has a wealth of information on there about a bunch of these topics, not just the written word, but also a lot of videos that I've done in a number of these podcasts. And most of these videos, you know, are a couple minutes long. That'll give you kind of broad brushstrokes of, of these different issues and, and things that, that really make sense to take a look at. So uh, those are all ways to get a hold of me or to get uh, some additional information to uh, you know, help your understanding before actually coming in. All right. Well, Mark, I thank you. And also I want to thank everyone who listened to this podcast. To, uh, please share it with your friends in your social media feeds because you just never know when one of your neighbors or a cousin might need exactly this type of information. Mark, again, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll be back with another topic shortly. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye now.